Hey, we're so glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series uh, called Bad Advice, um, How to Miss the Will of God for Your Life. So we figured we'd kind of reverse engineer this whole idea because um, if we're all being honest, uh, if there is a God out there, kind of depending on where you are in your walk with God or your belief in God or your belief in Jesus specifically, um, if there is a God, you would probably want to know what his will is if he has a will for your life. And if we're you know, being kind of transparent, we've all been through some stages of life where we ask somebody for some advice or somebody, whether one or not gave us advice and in hindsight it wasn't necessarily the best advice you know they said something along the lines of yeah just major what you're passionate about and you said okay I'm gonna major in art and then you graduate and thought uh-oh you know just kidding for you art majors out there but for we've all experienced some some bad you know somebody said oh you have time to save later don't worry about saving now or oh your marriage is in shambles hey have a kid I hear that makes things better you know so We've all had some bad advice in life, um, but the truth is, is most of us are in some kind of a direction to find God's will for our lives. And, and along those lines, I actually, this whole thought was spawned by a conversation I had with someone after our HOPE program one night, and we were talking, and they were basically saying, you know, I'm in a relationship, um, graduating college, trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to apply this, this degree, although I've got some ideas about that. I'm trying to figure out, is this, is this relationship something to stay for? Should I move? Should I go? Kind of how, how do I navigate the next six months? And they said something that was interesting. They basically said, you know, most of your congregation in the next five to ten years is going to determine where they're going to live, what they're going to do, and who they're going to marry. We thought, man, many of you are entering a season of life Right now, as you look towards the next semester or if you look towards the next season of life, maybe it's the next year and a half or maybe it's the next few months or maybe it's the next five to ten years, and you're thinking, you're trying to figure out what exactly is God's will for my life. And it plays out in different ways at different times in life. Sometimes it plays out in a sense of who am I going to marry, what am I going to do. For some of us who are a little bit farther along the path, you're perhaps in your career, and you're thinking, should I stay at this career? I'm thinking about a career change. I'm thinking about doing something different. Perhaps you're thinking about something relationally and making some changes there, perhaps sticking with some things there. For some of us, it's, it's a little bit farther on. You're thinking about retirement and what's the next step, or you've got parents who are getting old, and how do I deal with that? How do I sift through that? Because they don't want to do this, but they really need to do that. And for all of us, for being honest again, we're constantly in transition trying to determine God, if you're out there, what's your will? What would you have me to do? What am I called to do? What's my purpose? And what is your plan for me here? In my, the rest of my life or in the short time that I have left, what is your plan and what is your will for, for my life? Now, what I think is really interesting, and there's one of the more interesting dynamics in the Christian faith, is that if you're a Christian, here's what we believe. That as you came to the realization and as you place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, in other words, as you got to the point where you realized that God wasn't just a God or Jesus wasn't just a God who you said, okay, I think that if I had to pick out of all of them, that's the one I would pick. But as you actually looked at the life and the story of Jesus and came to the conclusion as an adult that you and I are separated from God because of our sinful decisions, and God saw that, did not hold that against us, but sent his son to die for that, to pay the price that we could pay so that we could have a right relationship with him. And as I came to that realization and I placed my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus, I now have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And isn't it interesting that the belief is that you and I have the spirit 
of the living God inside of us, and we face these gigantic life decisions. I'm talking macro life-altering decisions. And we can't hear the voice of the one who lives inside of us. When it seems like God should be screaming the loudest, sometimes he's the most silent. When it seems like God should be just very clear and very direct, sometimes there's just a total lack of clarity. In fact, for some of us, to be honest, we're questioning our faith. Or perhaps you've tried to investigate faith before, but there were some things that you prayed to God about, and there were some things that you were looking for direction about, and God never showed up, God never answered, God was silent. You said, God, if you were there, I want to know, and you never heard, so now you don't even think that God exists. But if God is there, have just a general assumption. And he has a will for your life. I think we would want to know it. So what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, unpack this idea of what is God's will for your life. What is God's purpose for your life? What is God's plan for your and my life? Now, to start off or to get us all going in the same direction, um, I want to talk about a little bit how we view God's plan in, in, in some misnomed ways. For most of us, as we think about God and we think about God's will, there's, there's generally two thoughts that you can think about. It. One is that we think of God's plan or God's will for us as a blueprint. Um, when we were making this building, we weren't actually making this building. We were planning this building and getting excited about the building. We would have lots and lots of plans that we would go through. And eventually we landed on a set of blueprints. And a blueprint, as any of you are savvy in the building game, or if you're not, you can just imagine, there are pages on pages on pages of all the specifics. I mean, how high the toilet had to be within like a quarter inch of toiletness you know it tells you what material things had to be made of the materials are dependent on the uh, dependent on the occupancy the occupancy sets off a whole bunch of different things that you have to do in terms of space and in terms of people and in terms of exits and all that kind of stuff in fact that exit door wasn't initially in the plans but they said no the occupancy is too high we have to have an exit that's be, that, that's besides the back door so we had to cut out some concrete and everything because there is a very very specific set of plans when you look at a blueprint and many of us when we think about God's will for our life we think in terms of blueprint that in the minutiae, there is a very, very detailed plan. And if you don't do everything right, if you don't dot every I, if you don't cross every T, then you're going to mess it up. But on the other side, how God will truthfully is more, in, as according to Scripture, is like a game plan. Now, if you're not familiar with sports and sports stuff, and this might lose you a little bit, but let me kind of give you an idea of what a game plan is. Generally speaking, our team is going to play your team. Your team has some strengths, your team has some weaknesses. Our team has some strengths, our team has some weaknesses. In our strengths and in our weaknesses, we're going to come with a general idea of how we're going to beat you. There are guidelines. We're going to run the ball. We're going to not run the ball. We're going to pass the ball. We're going to stop this guy. We're going to stop that girl. We're going to have a general game plan for how this is. It's a general confine and a direction. And in that game plan, there are specific plays. If you're a basketball player, because we all you know, love basketball season right now because they're better than our football team, we're a basketball school with a football problem. But anyway, and, and thank God for the spirit of Steph Curry that has rained down three-pointers on our team. Um, but on a, on a basketball team, um, maybe you have a specific play for the end of the game. Maybe you have a specific play for an inbound pass. Maybe you have a specific play that you draw up. That There's general guidelines, there's general how we're going to attack. But there are specific plays within that that general game plan and that's much closer to what God's will is for you so here's what we're going to do over the next three weeks we're going to go through three weeks of general game plan 
to say, this is how we understand God's will, and this is the misconception of how we understand God's will. In the last week, I'm going to go through the specific decision-making tree that I think that as we examine Scripture, we find that, frankly, for the last 15 years, I have used to make every big, specific play. This is the framework of decision-making that I use to start this church. So this is a big deal. It's had lots of application in my life. So three weeks of general talking about it, which I think is actually more important than than the specific decision-making, but that's going to be next week, so I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But we're going to talk about the game plan. Now, what we're going to do first is we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of insight of, of what we're going to read as we go into Proverbs. There's a guy named Solomon, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know him. Um, and Solomon is writing the Proverbs. Uh, to get to that point, there's this nation in the Old Testament called Israel. Israel was basically the God squad. They would become the Jewish people. They would be a family that grew into a kingdom or a nation. The nation would become enslaved. They would be delivered by a guy named Moses. You know, Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, about nine times or ten times. And he finally let his people go. They wandered in the wilderness. They became this, you know, kind of conquering kingdom. Then they got this king called David, which you've probably heard of, David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba, perhaps, you know. So they've got this guy named David who becomes king. David's a fantastic king. In fact, David would be the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. Well, David dies, and his son Solomon takes over. Now, Solomon was a young guy when he took over. In fact, Solomon was young. He was insecure, and he knew that he didn't know that much, but he had this huge kingdom that he had now been given leadership and stewardship over. So one night, God comes to Solomon in a dream. God says to Solomon, Solomon, you can have anything you want. I have favor with your father, David. I have favor with you. Name it, and you can have it. And Solomon, overwhelmed at the task of running this nation as a youngster, says to God, God, please give me wisdom that I can govern well. This task is too big. I don't know what to do. It's too complex. There's too many decisions to make, and I'm too young. God, would you please give me wisdom to govern well? And God said to Solomon, because you did not ask for wealth, because you did not ask for political success, because you did not not ask for financial success, because you didn't ask for military success that you would defeat all of your uh, opponents, I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you all of it. And people, kings from other nations, this is the kind of outside the Bible, this is between the lines type stuff, We come from other nations and hear the wisdom of Solomon. God says, Solomon, there's going to be, or there isn't going to be anybody else like you on planet Earth. And people would come from hundreds of miles away, kings, leaders, hundreds of miles away, just to hear Solomon's wisdom. And Solomon pens the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 3, he illuminates an idea. That for us, I think, is the essential starting point in finding God's will for your life. Now, kind of as an aside to this whole thing. If you're new to the Bible and you have ADHD, you should read Proverbs, okay? Because he thinks like you, all right? He's, he's this subject, this subject. Oh, a bird. You know, he just kind of goes off in different little tangents. So just, you should start there. Anyways, Proverbs chapter 3. This is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, <laughs> and lean not on your own understanding. He says, let me just give you a bit of a starting point. I want you to trust in the Lord. And in this trust, I want you to trust in him with all your heart. When most of us think about that, 
or start to apply that. There's a general sense of trust when it comes to God. It's like, hey, God, I trust you. God, I trust that you're there. I trust that you're around. I trust that you kind of know what you're talking about, perhaps. But what Solomon's saying here is, hey, here's the starting point for God's will for your life. I want you to trust God with all of your heart. In other words, I want you to trust God with everything. I want you to trust God in every place, in every detail. I want you to trust God. Now, this isn't a specific, this is exactly what I want you to do. But I just want you to have a general posture of deference towards God, that you look at God in every area of your life, and you say, God, I trust you. You see, when it comes to God's will for our life, most of us get wrapped up in this big macro decision, and we miss the micro. God says, trust me in every area. Trust me in every place. Trust me in every space. I want you to look at your life and examine what parts do I not trust God with and say, okay, those are the areas to trust God because if we don't, here's the problem. This is like a person taking a trip and going down a roadmap of life and taking two different sets of directions, right? We would never, ever, ever do that. None of us in leaving Tallahassee, going to Atlanta, would decide that we're going to go up, you know, all the way through Thomasville and we're going to go through Tifton and get on I-75. And we would take directions for if we were to go to US-27. Now, I realize for most of us that just fell on deaf ears. You're like, what? You know, so let me just kind of tell you what happened to us. A while ago, in fact, Hurricane Irma shouts out to the you know, terrible storm of 2017 that, you know, rained for 45 minutes and we all got a week off of school. Um, so we got some advice that at first I thought was honestly really bad advice, and perhaps you've done this before. Shout, shout out to the series name. Um, Larry Dodd said, I, you know, if you guys are going to go up to Atlanta, we were going north because we're some evacuees, um, a.k.a. we're cowards. So we decided that we were going to evacuate. It's kind of a last-minute decision for us. I-75 is just a bumper-to-bumper traffic. Larry says, I'm telling you, you should take, you, you should take 27, which is north of the road. Just keep going it up. You take it to Columbus, Georgia, then you take Columbus to Atlanta. And I said, Larry, you know, basically, that sounds ridiculous. That's highways the entire way. That just sounds like it's just way too much work. It's small towns, big towns, small towns, big towns, speed up, slow down. That's like a speeding ticket waiting to happen. That's just not good advice. But we decide because it was Irma, because it was bumper to bumper, we're going to go US 27. Now, I say this hesitantly because I don't want you to steal my new route, okay? Do not ever go another way, okay? I mean, telling you, it's just going, going, going up. doesn't matter what happens. There is no traffic. Christmas time, we hit no traffic on the way up to Atlanta, so... Just to tell you, just a little secret for church. Um, Now, it wouldn't make any sense for us to go up North Monroe and keep going as if we're going to go to Columbus, Georgia, but at the same time, pay attention to the map in Tifton. But that's what we do spiritually. That's what we do in the application of our life. We say, God, I want to trust you, but I also want to take these directions from this alternative source, from my selfish source, from, my, from myself, for what I think, for what I believe. And God says, no, 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 no. If you do that, here's the problem. You are taking directions from two different maps, and you will never get to the place you want to go. We know that geographically, but for some reason there's a gap spiritually. Let me just tell you. As long as we continue to hold back from God, It's going to be almost impossible to really live into the will of God for our lives. So let me ask you this. Where are you not trusting God? Where is it difficult for you? In fact, for most of us, 
There's 80% of our life where it's easy to trust God and 20% where it's extraordinarily difficult. Maybe 10%. Maybe you're really holding there's only 5% where it's difficult to trust God. Press into that 5%, that 10%. Make a conscious decision, though you don't feel like it sometimes, to trust God. In fact, he gives us some nuts and bolts to this in the very next verse. The very next part of this, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, on your own understanding. In other words, your own understanding is going to drive you in some different ways sometimes. In verse 6, And in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, I love how he says all your ways. Because, again, we, wanted to, we want to trust God with the big decisions. God, what am I going to do occupationally? God, who am I going to marry? Who, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do with my parents? What am I going to do with my kids? i got some problems. they got some troubles that I just don't want to do. So, God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this. And God says, hold on, hold on. Perhaps, in fact, God isn't saying this. This is me saying this, by the way. Perhaps the reason we don't know how to hear God in the macro is because we never listened in the micro. And so all of a sudden we got to the macro and we realized, uh-oh. Because I never spent time in the micro submitting. I got to the macro and I had no clue what to do. I had no clue how to submit. I had no clue how to listen. I had no clue how to learn. I had no clue how to discern God's will for my life. Because in the minutia, in the micro, it wasn't that God was giving you specific plays, but there was, a, there was an attitude of submission. There was an attitude, God, every area of my life, I'm going to submit to you. God, every area of my life, I'm going to choose to trust you when I don't know how, when I don't think I can, when I just really, really, really want to hold on tight. I am going to trust you you anyways in every situation in the minutiae I'm going to submit to you because we look for the macro and not the micro now let me tell you a little story about how this applies to me this week because I know I I, I get it there's plenty of you that are, are have a very healthy skepticism and I appreciate that that when you think about this you think okay yeah that's that's easy, um, but trusting God in every area has sometimes some serious consequences to it. So at the end of the day, I still need some control so that I can pay bills. I still need some control because my family's got to eat. I still need some control. So I'm going to trust God in areas, but I'm going to reserve some for myself. So let me just let me tell you how God spoke this to me this week specifically. For those of you guys who aren't familiar um, with my life, which some of you are, some of you aren't, um, my main kind of nine to five uh, as a job is not here at the church. I run our family's meat company called Register Sausage, which, by the way, shout out, you should try it. Anyway, commercial over. So coming into December is the busiest time for our company. By far the busy. I mean, sales are through the roof. People are coming home. You know, they have the nostalgia, and they've always, you know, we've been around for about 76 years at all the grocery stores, all that stuff. And so as we um, go into December, our sales were just were growing and growing and growing. It was fantastic, and it was wonderful. We're, we're ordering meat, and we got to order meat ahead about a week in advance. Um, and we're closed every single year between Christmas and New Year's. We give every single one of our employees the week off paid. Uh, and so we... We're going towards it, going towards it, going towards it, trying to build inventory, trying to keep up. Well, the last week, I mean, we get slammed with orders, which was wonderful for, for our company. 
We're going to be closed the next week, and so I send an email to our meat provider, who has done a wonderful job for the past six months that we've been working with him. And I say, hey, you know, just wanted to give you a heads up. We're going to be closed next week. We're not going to need an order, but we're going to need an order starting, you know, January 2nd when we come back to work. So if you could, you know, get us 10,000 pounds of meat, we're going to need to make some sausage. He said, absolutely, we'll work on it. We'll get it set and all that stuff. I said, great. Send him an email on Thursday before we close, Thursday before Christmas. And I said, actually... We're getting just crazy orders. Um, we're going to need more meat. Can you send us 12,000 pounds of sausage? And by the way, what's your ETA on it? John? I know you probably don't know exactly right now, but do you know what day? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting for January 2nd. Um, I got you 12,000. We're good to go. It's fantastic. Go Christmas break. Have a wonderful Christmas break. Spend some time up in Knoxville with my wife's family for the first time. By the way, thank you to Kelly Burke who spoke here on Christmas Eve. And come back. And Hayden, our plant manager, who also is our, one of our kids' security guys, he's a bearded guy, you know, anyway. Text me on uh, New Year's Eve and says, hey, I haven't gotten a delivery appointment for the meat truck. And I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, holidays, some stuff going on. So January 1st, we still haven't got anything. Now, this is Monday. We're supposed to get meat on Tuesday. So I emailed Jeff, our meat provider. By the way, we have no inventory. We have no meat. We have nothing to do. We're dead in the water until we get meat. So I emailed Jeff on the 1st, and I said, hey, man, just to double check, I know we've already you know, emailed out this a couple of times, um, do you have an ETA on the truck? And he emails me back on New Year's Day and says, hey, um, I thought y'all were closed this week. We don't have any meat for you. <laughs> and I thought, welcome 2018, you know? Love this place. So I emailed back, I'm like, man, we have got to get meat. We've got to get meat soon. He goes, I said, perhaps you thought that there was meat coming, but there wasn't really meat coming. Or perhaps you thought there wasn't meat coming, but you put it in before. And let me know first thing tomorrow morning when you get to the office. So he gets in first thing tomorrow morning in the office, says, sure enough, we got no meat coming to you. I said, well, what can we do? So we start calling anybody and everybody trying to divert meat trucks to get to us, okay? We're doing everything we can. We had it preloaded with meat. We had all the things that we needed to that we would normally do to get our orders in to get. And there was no meat truck. And so we finally get a, a truck diverted um, that's going from somewhere up north that's going down to Tampa that was going to stop by us first. They called back and said, by the way, we can't go to you first. We've got to go to Tampa first. And we said, okay, well, that's a problem. But as long as you can get to us, we will work all weekend round the clock. We have to have meat. So then, um, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, something extraordinary happened in the life of Tallahassee. It snowed. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, here's what, here's what happened. When it snowed, everybody on Instagram was like, oh my gosh, it's snowing, God is real, you know? And I get, a, I'm telling you, I get an email, email that says, you know, because of the weather, the trucks got delayed, and I'm thinking, God's not real, you know? It's funny how there's, and anyways. So that happens, and, and so they say, you know, it's actually gonna go, it has to go to Tampa first now. We, we thought we could maybe divert it to you, but it has to go to Tampa first now. And it's not gonna get to, to Tampa till midday, so you're not getting the meat truck till Monday morning. And I thought, oh my gosh. Now, let me just, just say, we had done everything right. They were a big company, we we're a small company, there's nothing we could do. We had no leverage in the situation. We had done, emailed, we had forwarded, we had done all the things that we were supposed to do. And at this point, we were missing ten to 12,000 pounds in meat. And in sales, this was currently costing us, you know, you know, kind of dads, you know, you're responsible for your family. This was thirty to $40,000 in the peak of our busy season. They said, okay, we can get you your truck on Monday. First thing in the morning, I said, great, we can minimize the damage. And then I get an email Friday night that says, by the way, we can't get it to you Monday because there's another stop, so we could get it to you hopefully Friday after, or Monday afternoon, if not Tuesday. And I thought, hopefully, you'll still be our meat provider next week. No. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's easy to say, trust God. 
But as my wife and I were talking, we were discussing this, and I was saying, you know, there's, there's, there's always frustration that happens, there's this, there's that, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we can only control what we can only control, and we have to, in this moment, trust God. And not just because there's nowhere else or nothing else to trust, but because of the fact that ultimately we aren't in control. And there are small, minute ways, and there are big, you know, heavy ways sometimes. But in this moment, it is easy to want to take control, to want to over-control, to want to over and bear down. And yeah, we need quality control. Yeah, we need systems and we need checks. And we had done all those things. But there's something inside of me when I'm getting those emails. I just want to take control. I just want to haul off. And I'm, 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 I am called to be diligent. So don't hear this as the person who like never studies and then you get to your exam. You're like, oh, God didn't come through. It's like, no, you just were lazy. But... This is happening right now. After the first service, I realized I wasn't clear. We still don't have meat. I preach to you an active trust that this isn't going to put ourselves, I already know it's going to put us as a company into a financial um, cash flow situation as with any time you go two weeks without sending out any product, you're going to not have a lot of cash around. And knowing that I'm going to have to manage God and trust God and be attentive to how God's calling us to work our company through this situation. I hope we get meat on Monday. At this rate, maybe next Sunday I'll be like, hey, update. If y'all could still pray for us, we're going to have actually a prayer service after the thing. No, we'll be fine. Here's why I say that. I know for some of you it is very, very difficult to trust God. And I don't want you to hear me saying that as someone who just life is easy and life is dandy and there's no consequences and I never have to trust God because my life is set up. It's difficult for each one of us. But let me tell you this. One, you can trust God because if he sent his son into the world to die for you, you can trust that he is going to do what is best for you. And I love how Solomon ends this little phrase. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, wholeheartedly, trust God. Everything that you have, the big, the little. I want everything, trust God with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, but in all your ways, I want you to just be deferential. I want you to submit to God. I want you to submit to God in the minutia so that you can, in the macro, hear the voice of God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he, as he ends it, will direct your path. In other words, If you are trusting in God and submitting to God every single day, you cannot miss the will of God. If you are trusting in God and submitting to God every day, you cannot miss the will of God. He says, and he will guide your path. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as he's talking, and he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for you, in view of the love that was displayed on the cross, submit your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is when you empty your life to God and say, God, I am so astounded by the fact, I'm in wonder and awe of the fact that you would send your son to die with me. And God, I give you my life, my entire life back. Since the application is then, in verse 2, I want you to not conform to the patterns of this world, not conform to your own selfish desires, not conform to what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it, with whom you want to do it, but I want you to not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, daily as you submit to God and say, God, your will be done. God, I'm trusting in you. God, I'm acknowledging you. I'm not just doing a tip tip of the hat to say, God, I acknowledge the fact that you're there, but no, I am submitting to you, God. 
Your mind will be transformed. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is. In other words, and it will be so blatantly apparent to you what God's will is. That you'll be able to test it and approve it. And as the NIV says it, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is it possible that we want to look to God for the macro, but never submit to God in the micro? Is it possible that we want to big, major, mega, trust God, look to God, direction from God, but in the daily, say, I got this. And not that God says, okay, I want you to wear those shoes, not those shoes, eat that cereal, not that cereal. But that daily, I'm saying, God, whatever you want, wherever you want it, I'm yours. I'm submitting to you. I'm acknowledging in every area of my life, I am acknowledging you. I am submitting to you in every area. There is not an area that I am holding back from you. Is it possible that we want to control the micro and defer the macro? You want some bad advice? Submit to God in the big decisions, but don't acknowledge him in your daily life. Submit to God with the big, major, mega, but you just don't even acknowledge him. You just don't even allow. You just don't even submit in the daily. Let me just tell you, it's easy. In fact, that's what most of us do. You want some good advice? You submit to God. You trust God with all of your heart. Sure, with that 80% that's easy, I'm talking about the 20% that you want to grab control of. You lean into that. You trust God in the middle of it. Knowing that God sent his son to die for you, and if he would do that, you can trust him with anything and everything. You trust him in the micro. And let me tell you, you will never miss the macro. Because here's what most people will be able to tell you. In fact, the older you are, the more you know this. The everyday micro is far more consequential than the ultimate macro. You can pick the right place with the right person doing the right thing occupationally and still be miserable, still miss God's will for your life. But if you submit to him, acknowledge him, and trust him, submission in the micro will never, ever misdirect you in the macro. My hope and my prayer for today is that we won't listen to the bad advice that says, look to God big, trust myself small. In any and every area, every single day, we will trust our heavenly Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we pray and we ask that in every area of our life we trust you. You have called us to submit to you. You have called us to trust you. In the middle of that trust, in the middle of that submission, you have called us absolutely to be diligent, to work, to do everything as if we're working towards you. 
This does not punt on our personal responsibility, but this simply acknowledges, God, that we want to do whatever you want to do. And when there's ever times and places and spaces where we want to regain the control, we want to take it back, and we want to say, God, it's not working out how we thought it should. God, help us to not lean on our own understanding, but to trust you. To every single day in every single area, acknowledge Submit to you. And God, as we trust you, submit to you, honor you, acknowledge you, as we hold nothing back from you, would you please make straight our paths? Would you please guide us and direct us as we know you already will? Because, God, we want to honor you. And, God, we know that you who sent your son to die for us, who would be willing to give everything on the cross for us, can be trusted. So, God, we trust you. And we choose to trust you, even when it's not easy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.